and this is the Age Group Multisport Podcast with me, Richard Conway. This is a platform for Age Group Multisport athletes to showcase their journeys. Welcome along to episode 62 of AMP. Thank you once again for taking the time out to listen to our pod. Much appreciated and hope you're all fit and well and hope everything's going well as we're now into winter and I know a lot of you are doing cross-country running and uh, cyclocross and some mountain bike duathlons so good luck with those and good luck if you're not racing but you're well into your base training now or even if you're taking time off. Um, yeah good luck with it all on this episode we speak to henry st Clair. henry got in touch via email with a brief background of his uh, story and couldn't wait to get him on the pod to discuss the issues that he wanted to bring up as well as telling us his background uh, growing up over there in uh, st lucia in the caribbean and henry suffers from a disease called sarcoidosis which i'd not heard of before um, so Henry goes into details about that and we find out a lot a lot more about that and also how he managed to get into a position where he could compete in triathlons and then eventually um, represent GB. We also talk about diversity in our sport and Henry's got some great ideas. After finding himself to be the only ethnic representative racing at most of the races that he takes part in, he discusses how that makes him feel and uh, he'd like to see more people like himself taking part in the races and what can be done to help that happen. So a great topic to discuss, not an easy one, um, but one that's well worth uh, discussing and putting out there into the multi-sport world, I suppose. So that's coming up, hope you enjoy that. So we're middle way through November, um, triathlon's pretty much winding down, especially in this country. There are a couple of races coming up. This weekend there's the 70.3 um, in Arizona, and I believe Joe Skipper's racing in that one. So I'll look forward to see how he gets on. And then the weekend after, there is the World Championship Final over there in Abu Dhabi. And all the big hitters are going to be there, male and female. And I know a lot of the age groupers are out there as well racing. So uh, a big good luck and smash it to previous guests on our podcast, which have included Andy Biggs. He was on episode 23. Uh, Louise Croxon, who was on episode 31. Karen Hames, my teammate. Um, she was on episode 35. Jim Taylor who was on episode 60, who represents the uh, United States of America. And finally, Donald Brooks, who was on episode 61. Um, so, yeah, hope you have a really great time and a great experience. There's nothing like the world finals because uh, you get to race yourself and you watch all the current elite racing as well on the same track. So, yeah, fantastic. So looking forward to watching those races. Um, staying on the sporting theme, cyclocross is back on. The season's well underway now. Uh, really exciting racing going on, especially in the ladies, like I said before. Um, yeah, 
if you get a chance to watch it it's over there on Eurosport so give it a check out um, also the UCI Trap Champions League started as well that's also on Eurosport um, exciting as ever second year it's been going I think um, and again really exciting races if you're into track cycling or just cycling in general give it a watch and just a big shout out to Ashley Delotz who was on episode 4 he's just started his own podcast and it's called the A-Line Podcast and it's dedicated to cross country mountain biking so if you're into that give him a listen and you'll find him on uh, the usual platforms speaking of podcasts been listening to a, a few as I do while I'm working I listened to the Strength for Endurance podcast with Chris Hendy and he was discussing about understanding hip dominant and knee dominant strength exercises um, and when they should be used so that was that was quite a an insight also full of knowledge that guy really good uh, series of podcasts um, if you're trying to get into strength and conditioning head over to and listen to his podcast the last one I promise was um, from the Runners World UK podcast um, they're linked to the Runners World magazine uh, and I'm not sponsored by them any shape way shape or form I uh, just enjoy listening to the guests that they have on and on this episode it was uh, how to do base training correctly, which I thought was quite apt for this time of the year. And it had running coach uh, Tom Craggs on it. And basically this, they were discussing what base training is uh, and why you should do it and how you make it work for yourself. So, yeah, give that one a listen. Well, give them all a listen if you have time. Some really good podcasts, really good information. Um, yeah, good luck and enjoy. Got a nice parcel through the post this week and... Who doesn't like a new bit of kit? It was a new British Tri kit. And I've got to say, I'm quite impressed. Um, Alright, for the money, should be impressed. But I think it's a lot better quality than the last one. And yeah, nice colours. Back to red, white and blue rather than the really bright blue we had before. Uh, yeah, I quite like it. It's going to be like Marmite, isn't it? Some people will and some people won't. But uh, yeah, very impressed. Got to send it back now and get my name on it. So well done British Try for a, a good swapping kit. Credit where credit's due. Right, on with the main event. Hope you enjoy Henry's story. It gives us um, a lot to think about. Diseases that we'd never heard of and um, diversity. So hope you enjoy this and we'll see you on the other side. Well, it's a pleasure actually coming on to the programme. So thank, thank you. you very much indeed for inviting me. No, it's, it's great. And, uh, I, you know, any, any, any way we can help you know, raise the profile is is just a uh, welcome. Thank you. So let's get started then. Uh, so what were you up to as a as a kid growing up, um, sporting wise? Well, I grew up in a in a small island in the Caribbean called Saint Lucia. Wonderful island. If you get an opportunity, do visit Saint Lucia. Can I just um, say I've yes. been? Oh, fantastic! <laughs> I used to. Uh, I was a chef back in the day. And I was working on the QE2. Right. And that was um, one of the islands that we did stop off at. Oh, fantastic. Well, I don't have to tell you too much about the <laughs> island. <then. laughs> it is fantastic. Yeah, what a, what a place. Right. Well, I grew up uh, there as a young boy, spent uh, most of uh, my teenager life there, really. Um, and um, I used to, I get, I, when I, whilst growing up, um, I got into football, so 
I used to love playing football. And um, I became the national goalkeeper at about 17 years of age. Right. And um, I competed in many different events in the Windward Islands. That's a small group of islands in the Caribbean. Yep. And then at about, uh, at, when I was um, 19 years of age, I broke my leg, tibia and fibia, um, playing football. And so I had to leave uh, St. Lucia and I came up to England to get the leg seen to because we didn't have the technology in St. Lucia at the time to be able to, what you call, ensure that when the leg sort of got back together, I would be able to walk properly. So the, the, the risk was very high if I stayed. So I came to London and um, basically um, when I came to London, um, obviously I had to get the leg done. The leg, the leg was repaired, put back together. And... Um, I then went after about a year, I joined a number of football clubs, small local clubs in the area. And then I progressed to Leighton Orient. Right. And yes, and that was in the 1980s, the, uh, the early 1980s. And I remember playing with guys like Laurie Cunningham, right. who, who was a great footballer and who represented yeah. England. Yeah. Um, he was, I think, one of the first black footballers to represent England. And um, he had tremendous ability, tremendous talent. And um, Leighton Orient was one of the few clubs that sort of um, um, brought in black people. And that was the first time I saw black guys playing for an English club, quite frankly. So it was great to be part of the setup there. Um, and what then happened was that I realized that um, I had a problem with my foot. I couldn't kick the ball as I used to. And so it impacted my ability to continue as a professional football player. And so what then happened was that um, I gave it up and um, I decided, well, I will go, go to university. And then um, at university, I took up football again. And then I was selected for the British um, football, that is the BPSA at the time, and I was selected as a, as a goalkeeper for BPPSA. And um, I played um, a number of matches. I played in Ireland, what, which was fantastic, at uh, Shamrock Rovers, if I can remember well. I played for an FA Select side as well. So the talent was still there, very much there. Um, and so I had this sporting you know, ability within me and so, um, so yeah, so, so, so that was really where, um, where I, then I stopped playing football after a while because basically I um, then went on to university and then I, start, I, I had a job in the city of London and um, I've worked in the city of London for over 25 years as an investment manager. Yeah. So, um, so that progressed further. And then um, what then happened was that I left this country and I went to work in Europe and I had a number of years working in Europe, throughout Europe, that is um, in France, in Switzerland, in Germany, in Denmark, um, traveling um, as an investment manager as well, implementing investment systems in the market. So, um, and then I came back to, to London and then continued my work in the city of London. So that is more or less the early phase of my, 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 my life in London.
Mm-hmm. And what age were you around about that time then, Henry? Uh, I was literally, from you're talking from about 19 years of age when I first came to this country till about 28 years of age. Sure, sure. So what happened next? Well, what happened next was that um, in 2000, and I think it's 2008, um, I was out working in the Middle East and while I was working in the Middle East, I, I, I became very ill. And um, the situation was that I didn't really take it seriously at all at the time because I need to continue that. But uh, as I was saying, whilst in Egypt, I became ill and ignored it. And it was only when I actually walked into a glass door that everybody realized that there was something significantly wrong. Um, once that had happened, I, was, I came back to the UK almost immediately. And whilst in the UK, I had to go on the, undergo many different tests, but still nothing was found. So I was going through this process for about two years. And within those two years, I was extremely ill. I was literally, you know, I mean, I was on death's door at, 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 at uh, one point. And as I talk about the issues with sarcoidosis, you'll understand it a little bit better. But, but basically, it was then that I realized and there was something seriously wrong because the doctors couldn't find anything wrong with me. And so basically, um, we had more tests. It impacted my work. I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't continue working. And so basically, um, we then decided that they had some, there was something more than that. So I, I went privately um, because all that period of time, I was literally on the National Health Service. Mm-hmm. And um, so I decided, well, you know what? I'll have to look at this thing privately. So I went privately. And within about six months of going private, they detected that I had sarcoidosis. Right. And how was that detected then, Henry? Well, that was detected, first of all, that was detected by a biopsy. Um, so after two years of suffering, um, they then, they altered, the last alternative was, well, they thought it was cancer. Um, and so they decided, well, let's do a biopsy. And so they did a biopsy on the lungs and they found the granulomas, which is a growth that is associated with inflammation on the lungs. And therefore, they were able to confirm that I had sarcoidosis. Good, right. And obviously, you'd never heard of it, didn't even know it existed, I would presume. Well, no, but well, this is the thing, actually, Rich. Nobody knows about sarcoidosis. Sarcoidosis is not a particular condition that many people understand or know about. And so, this is one of the reasons why. Um, I'm trying to build the awareness around sarcoidosis for my charity, which is the Sarcoidosis UK charity. It's very, very important because it's very similar to COVID. Mm. And we've known and we've been through COVID and we understand the issues of COVID, especially where long COVID is concerned and the impact it has on people's lives. Um, But sarcoidosis is 10 times worse. Um, quite frankly, because the type of sarcoidosis I had was multiple organ sarcoidosis. So it affected my lungs, my heart, my brain, my liver, um, almost every organ of the body, including my central nervous system. Normally, sarcoidosis is targeted at specific organs. But in my case, um, it was rare and it affected me. It almost killed me. 
So, um, so that is really, you know, the start of my journey, quite frankly, um, uh, into trying to heal myself, which was the first objective, and what I and, and the methods that I found that were beneficial to assist me in managing this condition over time. Mm. So, could you just briefly explain when it strikes, what's it actually doing to the organs? Well, what what actually happens is that. Um, when, if, I, if I tell you what, what the, the sarcoidosis relates to the immune system. So let us look at the immune system. The immune system, as we all know, is a very, very powerful system, but we don't quite understand it. So I'm going to try and put it in layman terms so that everybody can understand it. If we, if we look at the immune system, in my, in my um, analysis over the years of having sarcoidosis, I've come to the conclusion that there has to be an equilibrium level that the immune system is, um, gets to when it's most efficient. And what that really means is that the immune system has a defensive mechanism as well as uh, an aggressive mechanism. Now let's look at the defensive mechanism of the me mechanism of the immune system. When the immune system is threatened by, let's say, outside forces, it will defend and it will attack and it will kill whatever um, um, threats there are to you. However, the immune system can also turn on you and attack the body. Now in sarcoidosis, this is what's happening. So it's not a question of it being defensive. It's a question of it being aggressive. And it's being aggressive towards me. And it's attacking my organs. This is the problem that we have with sarcoidosis. So um, yes, my, my defensive mechanism works very well. But my internal mechanism, the aggressive part, doesn't work very well. Now, when I talk about the equilibrium, it's my own theory. But after having spent almost 10 years working with this immune system, I know how it works. And when it's at its most efficient, then basically it, it pivots between aggressive and, and, um, and defensive. So in other words, it's at its most efficient. So in other words, anything that, you, that, anything that attacks you, it will be able to, you'll be able to deal with it quite nicely. So that is, that is the equilibrium level of the immune system as far as I'm concerned. Now, the, the thing about my case where sarcoidosis is concerned is that when it attacks you, it forms granulo granulomas in the cells of the organ. And these cells then become inflamed and they have inflammation. Once they become inflamed with inflammation, then the next, the next stage is that they, they create pressure on the organs. Once the pressure gets on, get through to the organs, then they create pain. Once the pain comes through, then the organs itself literally start to die um, over a period of time. And that is a trauma that you go through with sarcoidosis. It's this particular what you call process that takes place. Now, one of the problems of sarcoidosis is that in, when you go for an X-ray or you go for an MRI scan in the early stages, which is what I was doing, they couldn't pinpoint those granulomas because they were microscopic. In mm. other words, they were so small that the actual 
um, x-rays will not pick them up. And so basically you would go through um, long periods of examination and the doctors couldn't find anything. They would send me back home saying, well, Henry, there's nothing wrong with you. It's all in your mind. Everything's fine. But because of the fact that there's very little what you call um, um, research done on sarcoidosis at the time, doctors are not really educated to understand sarcoidosis and understand the issues to do with sarcoidosis. Um, you have to see a specialist, and this is the problem about it. So it takes time, um, and what we are trying to do at the Sarcoidosis Society is to raise awareness and to re-educate doctors in understanding the symptoms, but also is trying to find a, a cure for this particular disease because it is actually growing now. There are lots of people that suffer from elements of sarcoidosis. Um, they might feel a pain in their chest. They might feel um, on um, a lot. They might have uh, um, rises in temperature. Um, in fact, sarcoidosis also affects the hypertension in the body. Um, and so, you know, there are lots of things now that we are finding out about this particular condition, which is really serious and really impacts individuals. So therefore, um, this is the reason why I think it's really important to build that awareness and to talk about it in the manner in which, because I've suffered it for so many years. So that's really what sarcoidosis is. Excellent. Well, thank you. Thank you for that and clearing it up. And uh, like you said, uh, one of those things that I'd never even heard exist, you know, didn't even know existed, to be fair, uh, until your email came through and uh, sort of explained it. Um, yeah, it's just... And if it's in its new sort of phase of, of being discovered, then there's going to be so much more that you're going to learn about it um, going forward, aren't you, really? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so how are you feeling now, today, at the present moment? Well, I feel extremely well, to be honest with you. I mean, I have got over the difficulties of sarcoidosis. Um, one of the issues of sarcoidosis, because of the fact that there's very little research, there you 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 also become an experiment. That's what I've got to tell you. You become an experiment to the to the medical profession, and um, the, you become an experiment because the only way of treating the symptoms of sarcoidosis, not sarcoidosis, but the symptoms, is through steroids. Right. And we all know that there are lots of issues with steroids. Mm -hmm. um, the side effects of steroids are uh, uh, catastrophic on, on aspects of the body. And because I was always um, a, a fit guy, you know, always engaged in sports, the first thing that I felt was, you know, there's no way that I was going to subject myself to this sort of treatment. However, I had a chat with my um, consultant. My consultant prescribed this um, um, steroid. And I said to him, well, I needed to know the risks, the long-term risks. They're short-term risks, but they're also long-term risks and how that would impact upon my body. Um, well, he, he told me the risks, but he also told me that if I, it was up to me to decide whether I wanted to take the steroids or not. I tried the steroids for about a couple of weeks. And the problem with steroids is that the conditions that I have, because I had multiple organ sarcoidosis, um, some of these steroids take 12 months, uh, sorry, 12 weeks before they actually start working. Mm. 
This is the problem with steroids. It's a not it's not a quick fix. For you to see any kind of progress, it takes a long time. And the problem is that you, you keep taking this steroid for all this period of time, and it's also doing you damage. It's doing various organs damage. So I decided, you know what, after about a few weeks of taking it, no signs of any relief whatsoever, I said to my um, consultant, I, I'm going to stop this. So he said, no problem at all. You can stop it, and you can look for something else. Um, so by that time, it was about, I was literally about, Three years into this, um, as I say, it, it impacted my life in so many different ways. Um, and I thought to myself, well, you know what? Um, I will stay off the steroids and I will start looking at a different way of doing this thing. Now, because I've always been into exercise and fitness, that was where I gravitated to. Hmm. I started to look at my nutrition. I started to um, make, take it seriously. And then I started to take my exercise seriously. Now, when you suffer with sarcoidosis, um, what happens if you, so to give you an example of the, um, the heart, sarcoidosis of the heart, what then happens? Well, the heart becomes inefficient. So the, apart from the pain that you experience, and the pain is very similar to a heart attack because mm -hmm. it cripples you. Literally, and then you can't do anything at all about it. Now, what it also does is that um, it affects the muscle of the heart because it's having to work harder. And during that time, your pressure is always rocketing, skyrocketing, because the heart is working harder. And so the, the, so that becomes pretty scary, to be honest with you, because <laughs> what it means is that exercise, you cannot exercise mm -hmm. because your heart rate is, is it reaches a specific level that it can't go any further. And this is the problem with sarcoidosis because it's affecting the heart, it's affecting the muscle. So it's like that elasticity and sensitivity that the, the muscle needs to what you call to work efficiently is being lost. I used to do it. I used to do a lot of exercise at the David Lloyd, and there are times when um, I would I would faint, and it right. would happen regularly, and there was no reason why I felt that this thing should be happening to me because I was exercising, only to find out that my heart rate couldn't rise, and so whilst I was exerting myself, when it get, once it gets to a, a specific level or reading, literally I would pass out. And there's so many times where this has happened. And that was, that was quite frightening because it's happened on the train. It's happened at work. It's happened many, many, many places. And so I, I felt that I could never, ever get back to the sort of level of fitness that I used to enjoy. Not only that, but the lung capacity in taking in air was also restricted because I could hardly walk up a flight of steps. Um, without having to sit down for, for, you know, to take a breather. And that also affects the lungs. And there were many times, just to give you another example, there were many times when I, in fact, the first time I did a triathlon, the London triathlon, um, I had to be pulled out from the water because of overhyperventilating. And I just couldn't get the capacity of air into my lungs. 
And so, you know, once you, once you can't do that, then the, the amount of oxygen going to your other organs are affected. So these are the issues that I had to contend with continuously um, throughout the process of getting better. Mm. And to go back to what I was saying, I continued the process. I continued um, um, restricting myself to the, to the importance of um, nutrition and the exercise that I was doing. Now, what I, what I also realized with all of that over a period of time is that you have to do the right exercise in order for you to impact your immune system because it's all about your immune system. It's all about my immune system. To me, if you get your immune system right, the organs then heal themselves. It starts to work properly. It's like a computer system. Once, it, once that equilibrium is shifted, then all sorts of things happen. And the other thing is I, I, re, I started to realize is that as my immune system became stronger, I had more energy. I wasn't necessarily getting the energy from the nutrition that I, the, the nutrition that I was taking, but I felt super strong. Mm. And, and, um, and it's at that time I decided, to, I decided to experiment because I used to watch a lot of sport. You know, when you're ill, you, you're inside all the time. And what is there to do? You watch sport or you read or you do something. But I couldn't read because the impact on sarcoidosis on my brain was terrible. And so all I did really was just sat down and watch sport. And that's where I started to watch the Brownlee brothers <laughs> who were amazing individuals. And then I started to, what you call, um, test myself. I used, I used to say to myself, well, you know, Henry, if you ever, ever get better, you have to do a triathlon because it's fantastic. I would love to see myself doing a triathlon. So it was a challenge. I, had to, I set up these challenges continuously to motivate me and to keep me moving and, and, and getting better. And this is what's happened. So when, when I first saw the Brownlee brothers, and I used to watch them all the time before um, um, Yi came along, they were absolutely legends of the sport. And, and they motivated me. And I felt that here was an opportunity for me to do something. Although I was extremely weak, I didn't know how I was going to do it. But this opportunity, I wanted to do it. There was a triathlon being run by a, goal, a guy called John Lum, um, who runs the Brighton Triathlon. Uh, there was a Daley Thompson. It was him. And there was um, Steve Cram. All right. They set up um, this triathlon event in St. Lucia. All right. It was called a St. Lucian triathlon event, but they were managing it. They were running it. So okay. I thought to myself, you know, Daley Thompson always been a big favorite of mine. And um, I thought to myself, well, I'll go and do this thing. I'll go and challenge myself. And so I, and I, I went, I entered the competition, but I failed miserably. I couldn't complete, I couldn't complete the challenge. Um, did that put me off? No, it didn't put me off because what it did for me, it gave me greater motivation. And I felt even if I had failed at the time, I could still, I still had the energy to, to try another one. Well, the subsequent year, another one was put on. And I, 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 I went down to St. Lucia again and I entered the competition. I failed again miserably. This time I ended up in the back of an ambulance. And that was to do with my heart problems again. My heart just didn't, couldn't, couldn't do it, couldn't take it. Mm. 
Um, did I give up? I said, no, I will continue. And I continued and continued. And just before COVID, I entered the Brighton competition. And by then I knew that I was fit. I really, really was fit. And just to give you an in indication of my fitness and how I improved, when I was sick, the, I, was, I used to do a mile in about 13 minutes. And that basically meant that I would stop about four or five times, literally doing this mile. My performance has increased to such an extent, I can now do a mile in seven and a half minutes. I can now do six miles in 48 minutes. Not only that, my cycling has improved, you know, um, to, a, to a such an extent I can do 100 miles in about five hours and 10 minutes. The only thing that I cannot do very well is swim. However, I've been able to do 750 meters in 16 minutes. Very good. Compared to my 30 minutes that I used. So in terms of my performance and improvement, you could see a massive improvement. Yeah. And that was based primarily on the change, the, 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 um, the nutrition and the exercise that I used to do. So, yeah. so once I knew that I had that behind me, I was ready. And so I went and I did the Brighton Triathlon. That was a bit of a disaster, to be honest with you, um, because there was an accident um, during that particular period. And it sort of affected the results. However, um, when the results came through, it was quite a surprise because, you know, I made the champions. I made the side. I made the British side, which is absolutely fantastic. I was well overjoyed. It was always my dream to, to want to participate in some form of event like that and to find myself actually being chosen to represent Great Britain was incredible. Fantastic. Well, that's a hell of a story, um, even so far. But just going back to um, the whole process that you went through, you you found out about triathlon, obviously, through watching it on the TV and following the Brownlees. Um, so what were the first stages of you becoming sort of involved in it yourself? Did you just go off on your own and try and learn to swim and ride a bike and get out and run or did you did you know people that were already doing this sort of thing or you know what was your what was your format and and plus how how did your diet change because that does intrigue me right um well first of all um to answer the first part of basically none of my friends none of my black friends do triathlon it was propelling me forward to wanting to do this triathlon. Now, the, and so that is the reason why I went about to do it. I think one of the, one of the things that, that um, I always wanted to do was to join a club. Mm. Now, here's another issue. And the issue is when you look at all the clubs around, there aren't any black people in the clubs. So there was a reluctance for me to actually join a club. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you want to know that if you join a club, there's another face like yours there. So it, sure. it sort of <clears throat> encourages you to move forward and, and to be part of it. And I did want to be part of it. So I decided to do all this, tra this training on my own. I used to go onto YouTube, look at the way things were being done. I read a lot in terms of about nutrition, what was good for you, what wasn't good for you. Um, I did a lot of what you call analysis, my own analysis of how to cycle. 
um, learning to cycle. I was never a cyclist. Mm -hmm. um, the type of bikes, I started off off-road um, on my mountain bike. And that's how I started. Um, along the Grand Union Canal, almost every Sunday, as a challenge, as my own challenge of keeping fit and active. And then I progressed to a BMC. And my wife actually purchased the BMC for me, which was fantastic. An SLRO2, which is brilliant. And I still have that bike today. And that's the bike that I use to, to do anything at all. But the other thing about it is I used to enjoy the outdoors. Mm. I used to enjoy running on my own, the freedom of the valleys, the freedom of the canals, the beauty, the birds in the trees. You know how beautiful it is to be running and you alone in, in, in a forest, for example, and all you hear is the chattering of the birds. Um, it's, it's just incredible. I can't explain it, but it really is fantastic. And for my own mental health, this is really what I was doing at the time, mm. because my mental health had suffered quite greatly with this illness. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's why I never really went to join a club, because there was nobody like me there. And, mm. and when I look at it now, actually, Rich, it's still the same. That's yeah. why people like me have to talk about it, because our sport is such a wonderful sport. If we are actually going to sustain it and move forward and grow it, then we have to participate in it. You know, um, there's, you know, before the thing about it was that um, people would talk about, oh, black people haven't got enough money to buy these expensive bikes. We don't need an expensive bike. <laughs> you, know? you, you don't need an expensive bike. I just want to see participation. I just want to see younger kids coming on to enjoy this wonderful sport. And it is such a wonderful sport. And the thing about it is that it's growing. Mm. The issue is, is it growing in the right direction? That's my vibe. Is it growing, you know, for somebody who actually works in corporate governance and advises boards on corporate go governance, is it going in the right? Where's that diversity that we, we, we need to incorporate within it to make it a better sport mm. and, and, and to give people the opportunities to enjoy it? A man of my age, Still enjoying the fact that I'm going to represent Great Britain. Isn't that amazing? So going to the um, to the triathlon, back to the triathlon, and uh, you said you're not in a club and you tend to work out on your own. And it's obviously worked for you because you've got to where you've got to to be, GB athlete. Um, how did you find out about uh, the age group scene? Well, actually, very interesting. Um I was just doing some research and, um, you know, and, and basically just came up on my screen, literally just came up. And I thought to myself, oh, there's an age group. I better look into this sort of thing. And so I looked into it and um, I realized that you could enter a competition and um, you could represent Great Britain. So I thought to myself, wow, well, you know, um, I better start exercise and I better start really working hard at this thing and so I took it really really seriously because it was it was what I needed mm. to for me to sort of tell myself that I was now healed you know what I mean yeah. it, it, because it would demonstrate it would demonstrate and give hope to all those people who suffer from sarcoidosis not mm. only that but give hope to the people who suffer from illnesses and quiet and think that there's no opportunity for them to come back. Mm. Well, Rich, 
there's always an opportunity for you to come back from serious illness. You have to believe it and you have to do what is right because the body is an amazing, resilient thing. Uh, the same way the body takes from you and puts you down is the same way the body can heal you. I honestly believe it. Um, and you have to believe it. It's as simple as that. So the fact that the, the fact is that once I saw the, the the advertisement about representing Great Britain, I became excited. Wow, I could represent my country. And I started to go through all the different age groups. And I used to look at the performance of the age groups, you know. And I thought to myself, no, there's no way I could do this. This is impossible. These guys are just incredible, some of them. How can I, how can I match these guys? Well, I didn't think about that. At the end of the day, I wanted to represent Great Britain. I just decided, well, you know what? You're going to have to train a little bit harder. And that's exactly what I did. I started training. I started entering local competitions. I started to realize. I even entered duathlons. I started, then started to realize, but Henry, you're not too bad. Because I started to compare the times. And there were, there were a few I did. I came first. I came second. So I thought to myself, well, you know what? This is fantastic. And that's what spurred me on mm. to enter the Brighton one. And it's when I entered the Brighton one, as I say, although my time wasn't, wasn't great in terms of what I know I could do, um, I entered it and I still managed to get accepted and, and uh, be chosen to represent Great Britain at the World, Champ uh, World Champs in Canada this year. Mm. So that was fantastic. So the issue was, I know that even if, even if I had to join a club, I could get an awful lot better because, you know, competition is really very, very important. And if you have continuous competition, it propels you forward yeah. and, and, and you can judge yourself in comparison to others. When I train on my own, I can't judge myself. Yes, you know, the times are there, but that's not good enough because there's nobody pushing me. Mm. So I'm very serious about joining the club this year because i know that if i do that then i will get a lot better i know my swimming will get better because at least there'll be somebody to critically assess me and look at look at me in the pool at this point mo moment in time there's nobody looking at me in the pool so i keep making the same mistakes and i'm mm. not i'm not really improving i want to improve and so so these are the things that I will be doing this year to make sure that I can actually continue and become even more competitive. There's nothing wrong in being competitive. I believe that in order for you to survive any illness at all, you have to be competitive. You have to get up and you have to confront the issue, confront the illness. Um, sometimes we, we are afraid to confront those illnesses. Um, whatever outcome there is, we need to come to confront them and deal with them. And it's only by doing that we tend to, the good and strong ones tend to recover and move on. Yeah, 100%. Well, I mean, your, your testimony to that, uh, Henry, 100%. So it's obviously, you know, the way, the way forward. Um, so you qualified at Brighton. Was it a sprint triathlon? Yes, it was. It was yeah. a sprint triathlon. Yes. Yeah. Well, well done. And you um, went to Canada? I did indeed. And how was, how was that experience? Oh, that experience was just awesome. Um, the, the, I must say that the, um, the management, the British management team were fantastic. Um, you know, the information, um, uh, just keeping athletes up to date, uh, supporting athletes, 
they did that impeccably well. Um, and, and there's no messing around where that is concerned. Um, as I say, the, 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 um, the, the way it was organized, the whole event was just fantastic. We had one or two issues because there was lots of rain out there mm. and the quality of the water itself was an issue. Um, um, but at the end of the day, it, the, the competitions took place and it was a fantastic event. I mean, I entered the individual competition as well as the, um, the team competition. Right. And, um, and uh, you know, you meet so many wonderful individuals with different stories. That's the thing about it. Um, all age groups and all come in to have a great time to be competitive and to represent their country. And that is the that is the message, and and it inspires. It's inspiring to the young people out there, um, to the people who may have doubts about their ability. It's not about that. It's about participating. It's about meeting new people. It's about meeting new challenges. It's about enjoying, and that's really that's the message that I have. Mm. Yeah. So. How can we then take that forward and try and get this diversity that we've just been discussing? What's the plan? Well, I, I to be honest with you, I haven't got a plan. But I, my suggestion is that um, it's an issue that I think has to be uh, what you call dealt with at the highest level, um, international level as well as local level. And I'll tell you why that is. There is a major event like the World Triathlon. And um, at the opening ceremony, Give, to give you an example, the opening ceremony, you know, I'm looking around and you have about what? You have about 2,000 athletes there. Mm. Um, and I can't see one other black person. Um, you know, it, it's shocking. It's, yeah. it's absolutely shocking that in this day and age, there's a lack of equality. In this day and age, um, what is happening? What is happening to British triathlon? I took a picture right, with the whole British triathlon group. And I look at that picture all the time, Rich, and I'm the only black man there. And, I, you know, I'm saying to myself, good God, these are like going back to the city of London 20 years ago, mm -hmm. you know, when I used to be the only black guy sitting in a room. Um, so something has to be done. And I don't know whether British triathlon or world triathlon recognize that because surely they should recognize that it's not about what you call having a code of governance which says okay fine um you should have diversity but that diversity is not reflected in any way whatsoever mm. um and and what should be done the question is are we reaching out to those particular areas where there are black people um, it's it, or, or, or British triathlon or world triathlon only going to the affluent areas, right? No, well, that shouldn't be the case because that's that's what it looks like. Mm. That's what it looks like. Um, as I say, in order to grow the sport, and uh, you know, we need participation. So, do these young people have access to facilities? Maybe they don't have access to facilities. Um, rather than one of the things that I think that British triathlon should be doing is have pop-ups. Why don't they have a pop-up in, in, let's say, Peckham or, mm. or Brixton or one of these areas where there's a high percentage of black people or go, go into these areas 
Don't expect them to come to you. Let's go into these areas and have what you call role models as well presented there so that they could, these, these people can see these role models. Why doesn't British Strathlon have, let's say, going to schools and colleges and talk to people, talk to these young people about the importance of, 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 of their health? Health is already a very important issue now. Mm. Right. When are we going to start? Are we going to start when these when they're adults? We're going to start now. But then they can engage in something that's really fantastic. They can be part of it. They can enjoy that. And we need to start doing this thing now, mm. tomorrow. So that's the important thing. Let's create. Let's let's go out into the in, into the environment. Tell them how beautiful triathlon is, and that is the way you're going to get participation. That is the way you're going to break down. The, 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 the stigma, the barriers, because at the moment, it, it looks as if it's only for one set and not the other. I, I'm like, I feel, I feel as if, to be honest with you, Rich, I feel as if I've set a trend here when I see myself. And it's not only this country, because when I also looked at Canada, I looked at the United States. They had the biggest contingent there. Canada the next, because they were hosting the, the event. Mm. Only one black person in Canada. And that was a woman. And, you know, what I do is I make it my duty to go and actually meet those people and see them and engage with them and talk to them, because I think that's what's needed mm. in order to grow the sport and in order to attract the ethnic minorities into it as young women young into the sport. We need it, quite frankly. And so it becomes a healthier sport. It becomes far more inclusive sport. It, you know, we want to bring exercise you want to enjoy physical exercise come and do triathlon you'll have a fantastic time and that is the message 100 yeah i mean it's it's i always say it's a lifestyle it's not it's not a sport it's it's a like you just said it's the whole package it's your training um how you how you live your life your your diet you know the complete the complete thing and it doesn't stop and that's the great thing about age group i find it doesn't stop at a particular age You've got people from 18 right up to 80 and beyond, you know. Um, so there's always that opportunity there for everybody. Um, but we do definitely need to get out and bring more diversity into into our sport. Uh, but you're right, there just isn't, you know. I, I've been to lots and lots of races and there just isn't the diversity there. And I just... You know, I think I think to be fair, British try are trying to, you know, with the Black Black Lives Matter month and things like that, they are trying to address the topic. And it's gonna take time, isn't it? Yes. To be fair. It's gonna take time. And I think, you know, get yourself into a club personally and show the way. You know, you you're the one who can do this. You you know, look at me, sort of thing. I'm here. This is what I've achieved. You can do it as well. You know what I mean? It's that absolutely. Well, 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 Rich, you're absolutely right. This is this is the reason. This is what's sort of um, spurring me on. The thing about it, there's so many athletes around who give up their sport at such yes. an early age for one reason or another. Where they're going to? Mm. Can't we bring them in? Um, not necessarily triathlons, but duathlons. Forget about the swimming. Get them exactly. on a bike. They've got exactly. the running background. They're going to smash it. They're going to be That's so right. successful. You know That's what I mean? Right. It's like you don't have to swim, bike, and run. This is multi-sport. This is the age group multi-sport podcast. You know, people do 
who don't like swimming do duathlon. People who don't like biking do aqua aquathon. People who don't like running do aqua aqua bike. You know what I mean? It's it, there's something there for everybody. Absolutely. Um, so that's that's the that's the plan. I think that's that's what we should be looking at. And you're right. That's a great point. These athletes who give up and stop and have been fantastic runners. You know, they can carry on, learn another skill, learn exactly. to learn to swim, learn to bike, and, exactly. and keep going. Because you see, the other thing about we what we fail to realize is that those athletes have um, have worked extremely hard at their sport, night and day, trying to get better, trying to represent the country, and you know, suddenly they stop. Suddenly yeah. they stop. Where's all that skill? Where's all that ability going to go to? Down the drain, yeah. literally. Yeah. So we have to we have to sort of um give them an alternative. This mm. is a wonderful op opportunity to give them an alternative. So we have to do something about it. Quite yeah. frankly, hundred percent. They've got they've got the discipline. They've got the skill. They've got the determination. You know, it's all there, isn't it? It just needs eking out and and bringing over to the multi sport world, and the success will be. You know, it'll be be amazing to see. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So is there anything else that you'd like to discuss on that before we move on to the quick fire questions? Uh, no, I think I think I've covered most of the areas. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a really um, positive, um, I think, conversation that we've had so far. So, yeah, we'll get on to these quick fire questions. Just just three or four. And the first one is what's your favorite bit of kit? <laughs> My favorite bit of kit is my t is my is my GB T-shirt actually. Ah, yeah, nice. Stand up, let me have a look. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, we like that. Nice one. That's my favorite bit of kit. That's your favorite bit of kit. Love because it. you know why? Actually, it signifies it signifies to me an achievement. Yeah, hundred percent. That's really what it is. It signifies that yeah. I have been able to recover, and now I can classify myself as a GB athlete. Amazing. So I'm very proud of my shirt. So you should be. And there's nothing better in the world, is there, than when you get your kit coming through the post with your Absolutely. name on it. It's amazing. It's a great feeling. <laughs> great feeling. So what um, resources do you use for your training um, for triathlon? That could be podcasts like this one. It could be um, YouTube, anything, books, whatever. What type of resources do you use? Well, my resources are basically YouTube and reading. Um, the, this is where I get all my information, where I get all my tips. And as I say, I normally do this thing on my own. So I'm constantly reading for improvements. I, I, I um, So from my cycling, I would listen to a number of different podcasts. Um, my swimming, I would literally research and research and research. But I'm still not making that much of a headway, I can tell you. Well, you know, the funny thing about it is that I'm from the Caribbean, so you, you would have expected me to be able to swim, but sorry, I can't. <laughs> Surrounded by water. <laughs> yeah, but it is. It's so technical, isn't it? It's just, it's so That's hard. Right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. But I'm getting there. Yeah. Yeah, it just takes time. Time and uh, consistency is the key, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, cool. What advice would you give to, and we'll go, we'll go to um, the ethnic minorities uh, for this question. What advice would you give to somebody from an ethnic background um, to get into the sport and help? Well, first of all, um, do not be afraid to approach your local club. That's key. 
Um, if you're somebody who loves the outdoors, loves cycling, it's really very important that you join a local club um, because a local club will be able to give you all the good advice that you need. They'll be able to, what you call, um, uh, help you in, in what you call, in, in breaking through the sport if you need to. Um, but just as a social gathering as well, to be part of a, to, to be part of something like a cycle group or running group, you know, it's so important. It's important for their good health because we are suffering from a lot of things like hypertension now, diabetes, all different sorts of uh, what you call ailments. So it's really very important that they can join a local club because of the guidance and support that's there to encourage them forward. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Great advice. Uh, and finally, what are your um, short and long term goals? Well, this is really a very good point. Um, um, interesting. Well, my short term goals are this. Um, as I say, one of the important things for me is to raise awareness for, for sarcoidosis UK as a sufferer of sarcoidosis. And but at the same time, to demonstrate and keep demonstrating to all the people out there who are suffering, that there is an opportunity to get better. And what I intend to do is as follows. Um, I will be doing the London Marathon as part of my short-term goals um, in April. I will also be doing the Prudential, well, it's no longer the Prudential, but the SX100 bike ride, um, uh, I think shortly after that. Uh, then I will also be climbing the Three Peaks, um, in 24 hours. It's something that I intended to do literally in August this year, but unfortunately I couldn't do it because I was slightly injured. So I had to sort of put that on the back burner. Um, I will be also participating in all the events, the triathlon events next year, so that I can make the world championships again, because that is really the most important thing for me. So I will be entering many different events not only for the world championships, but all for the European championships. And I will also be taking part in the, I think, the, the British champs mm -hmm. um, to see, you know, just to, just to enjoy it because I've never really done it. So these are the things that I will be doing. Yep. Um, the long term, the long term, which is basically um, either late next year or early the year after, is to do 150 miles of the Grand Union Canal running 25 miles a day right so i within six days and that is really what i'm working towards at the moment um you know i'm, I'm not i'm not too far off it at the moment but my my training is going extremely well so these are that's really the long-term plan for me excellent excellent well they sound like great plans um lots there to to look at and um keep you busy with isn't it so yeah fantastic well henry it's been a a lovely what have we been on 45 minutes to an hour chatting and listening and hearing your story i think that's a great place to land it um thank you ever so much for coming on and taking your time out lovely to meet you um and good luck with everything well thank you very much indeed rich for inviting me onto the broadcast today I thoroughly enjoyed speaking to you and um Hopefully sometime in the future, our paths will cross. Hope you enjoyed that. Great story, great background. Again, one of those things. Life throws you lemons, make lemonade. And Henry's certainly done that. Not once, but several times. And uh, yeah, 
Every day is a school day, sarcoidosis, who knew? If you want to find out more information about sarcoidosis, head over to sarcoidosisuk.org and um, loads of info on there about it. And diversity, yeah, that's a topic that will keep running and running till we get uh, some sort of equality, I guess. Um, too big a topic for me to rant on about, I'm sure British Triathlon uh, in on it and looking looking to try and spread the word within the communities that Henry quite rightly said. Um, so let's let's hope it continues in a positive direction. And that's about it for this episode. Um, if you want to get in touch, as usual, you can email us at agegroupmultisportpodcast at gmail.com you can find us on Instagram at amp underscore 1967. We're on Facebook, AmpGB. And we have our own website, which is the age group multisport podcast.buzzsprout.com. And you'll find all the previous episodes on there, as well as you, you can find them, obviously, on your own uh, preferred podcast platform. We're on Twitter at age group multisport podcast. And we are now looking for some new age groupers to come on and share their stories. Uh, so if you would like to do that or you know anybody who has a great background story and you think they would be good on the podcast, give them a nudge and uh, tell them to get in touch. I will be putting some promo um, out on social media to say that we're looking for new um, age group athletes to come on. So... Yeah, please get in touch. So all that remains on this episode is to say, stay safe, keep training, and love the process. Bye.